Welcome to Season 2 of the Adult Children Voices Across America Speakers Meeting Podcast. You can attend this meeting live on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Pacific Time using the Zoom ID 848-5208-0640, password 061120. For more information about adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families, visit adultchildren.org. The following speaker share from Laura M. was recorded on August 12, 2021. Hi, everybody. Um, my name is Laura M., and I'm about an hour south from San Francisco. Um, my scarf tonight is my cat ninja. Um, she won't stick around for too long, but I'm glad she's here for a minute. I'm going to share my story, and um, it's not representative of everybody or ACA, and I hope you'll take what you like and leave the rest. Um, I, so one of my coping mechanisms as a child was to be a perfectionist, right? That's, that was a fear-based need to control uh, what was going on around me. and. That still carries into my adult life. So uh, every time I tell my story, I kind of battle with perfectionism. And um, what I've done tonight is to kind of write up my experience, strength, and hope, and um, gathered some photos to share with you. And you know it's going to be imperfect, and that's perfectly fine. So with no further ado, I'm going to share my screen and share share me with you. Uh, let's see. Here we go. And you know what, Dottie, it occurs to me, although I can see you um, as a little thumbnail, if for some reason I, I don't respond to you, will you just say something? All right, so there's a quote from the, um, the Yellow Workbook that I really love that I put up on the screen. And it says, an adult child is someone who responds to adult situations with self-doubt, self-blame, or a sense of being wrong or inferior. All learn from stages of childhood. Without help, we unknowingly operate with ineffective thoughts and judgments learned in childhood. The regression can be subtle, but it is there, sabotaging our decisions and our relationships. So this is my qualification for ACA. This is me in a nutshell. Um, so let me jump into it. I am uh, the daughter of an alcoholic. I did grow up in a dysfunctional home, and um, I, I legit qualify for this program. So <laughs> I'm leading off with some photos because of the generational nature of this disease. And the first one I have for you is this great photo with home and, and somber looking people and you know, and it's a sepia tone. This is, these are folks in my family tree. There was a lot of dysfunction on both sides of my parents' family tree. Um, we used to have uh, a used to have a company producing JW Dance Sour Mash Whiskey in Kentucky. Until we had to sell it, 
because we were drinking up all the profits and that was on my father's side. So that dysfunction came down and really no surprise that he was attracted to my mother, the alcoholic, because his vision of abnormal meshed pretty well with hers. One of the things I really appreciate about ACA is this, let's look at how we got here. Um, I, I, I didn't grow up in a vacuum, right? Things um, impacted me. And uh, my parents didn't grow up in a vacuum. Things impacted them, right? So we've got um, my mother and my father. Um, this is when she was, I think she was 27 and he was 28. Um, for frame of reference, my father was 6'8". So super tall. He had to duck through almost every uh, doorway known to man. And um, my mother was also tall. She was six foot. Um, they both came out of homes where uh, religion was traditional and strict. Um, in my father's case, uh, his three sisters uh, were expected to take very traditional female roles. One became a nun, one became a, a nurse, and one became a secretary. Um, my mother broke the mold, um, got a fabulous education. Uh, both of my parents were very smart. And that plays into um, what shaped me, right? So, okay, we've got these, these two people that meet, and they have my brother, and then five years later, they have me. Um, I love this lower picture of me. Uh, I've got a little bunny on my shirt. Um, we started camping and backpacking, canoeing, hiking, mostly the Adirondack Trail in Upper New York State because I'm an East Coast girl. And this picture of me in profile with my little bunny shirt, I actually have it behind me. And it reminds me of the sweet little genuine, adorable child that I was, right? And, and I need to remember that. And then this is me as I was changing. Um, I, I had a wide open kind of curious sweetness to me. And that's me in that rest corduroy. And then I've got that far, that, that, that forced smile and that I am going to be cheerful look. Um, and then I've got that shattered face down in my brownie uniform. God, I was trying so hard. I had the beanie, I had the shoes, I had the gloves. And nobody liked me. Guys, nobody liked me. Why? Why, right? Why? Let's talk about why. So, um, I grew up in chaos. So this is my experience, strength, hope, and I've tried to break it out into three sections because that's more manageable for me to discuss, and it keeps me from going off on like unraveling tangents. Okay. So what was my experience? I was a, a little girl, the youngest of two. My brother was five years older than I was. I was much smaller than everyone in my house. You know, my dad was six eight, my mom was six foot, and my brother got to be six two. I had no voice. Um, I needed to uh, kind of scramble to keep up. Um, bad things happened at night. 
as a result, I was a very, very light sleeper. I, I slept with my back to the wall facing my door. If anything touched my doorknob, I was awake like that. Uh, I wet my bed for many, many years, until I was 11. That's how, that feels like many years. And I used to have a lot of shame about it. Um, because my, my imagination, my dreams, I would dream so vividly about getting up to bed and walking across the floor, opening the door and going into the bathroom. I knew what the feel of the hardwood, the carpet and the tile felt like. And I thought that it was this awful trick that my subconscious was playing on me. But the truth is it was keeping me in my bed and safe. And with ACA recovery, I can honor that. I can totally get that it was not safe for me to go out there to the bathroom. I didn't know it for many years, I just didn't. So life was scary, unpredictable, out of control, um, and I was hypervigilant. Yes, I was a victim. I, I was a victim of physical, emotional, and sexual abuse. These are things that happened to me. Uh, I didn't deserve any of it. But over time, with repetition, every day, hour on hour, I developed a victim mentality. I expected it to happen. Um, and I took that expectation with me out into the world, which had awful repercussions for me in school, even as um, a first grader. Um, my school life throughout the years was awful. And uh, I was bullied constantly and um, I would not go back for a minute. Um, it was so bad, I, I couldn't ride the school bus. I had to ride my bike. It wasn't safe on the bus. Um, I became defensive and was on the offense. And um, at the same time, I learned helplessness. This learned helplessness that I, I, I have no voice. I, I never knew the right thing to say or do. And um, with each new experience, I would try harder, right? Well, it didn't work last time, so let me try it, but just twice as hard. And you know what? It didn't work that time either. Okay, attachment. We talk a lot about attachment theory, um, how we have bonded um, in our dysfunctional homes with our parents who, or our caregivers. Um, and what I learned was codependence. And I a loss of intuition. Like, I grew up um, as a happy little person, sorry about that, and learned to be unhappy. Um, my mother was a, an alcoholic. She was an active alcoholic. We walked on eggshells around her. She was a rageaholic. She was a narcissist. And she had blackouts, which I could not fathom as a little person. I see that, 10, high five back. So I, I, I didn't know she was having blackouts. I was a little person, one, two, three, four years old, spending the day with mommy because my brother had gone off to nursery school, preschool, whatever. And we would have our day together and then I would reflect on, you know, her saying a thing or me doing a thing. And she would tell me it didn't happen. So she negated my reality. And I adored my parents. They were tall, they were smart, I thought that they knew everything, and if mommy told me that didn't happen, then mommy must be right. 
it's, I'm going to cry even thinking back, you know, to a little kid learning self-doubt, right? Learning to turn off that intuition. My father was chronically depressed. He was anxious all the time. He could not control my mother's drinking, my mother's blackouts, my mother's rage, my mother's narcissism. So he controlled everything else. And there was oppressive control in my house. Oh, my hands are just nodding thinking about it. It was awful. Uh, and my brother, my brother was five years older than I was. He had nowhere for his rage. Everything came down on me. Um, my brother was a narcissist and he was a sexual predator. And um, I uh, experienced some of that hand on. I was fear-based. Life was dangerous. Uh, I became a perfectionist and a self-sufficient isolationist. I knew better than to ask for help. Um, I myself started experiencing blackouts and PTSD because I could not handle some of my situations. Things that were asked of me, I would, I didn't even know I was having blackouts. Um, but my father, there is a scene in my head where my father's teaching me the timetables and um, I'm so anxious because what my father would do when he was lecturing me is he would lecture me and then after he lectured me, he would say, so tell me what I just said. Tell me what I just told you, Laura. And if I couldn't answer him to his satisfaction, he would backhand me. And remember, I'm little and he's really big. Um, my strongest memory of my father is his belt because that was what it was at my eye level for most of and, and the stitching on his pockets. So my father was enormous. So I learned, I learned blackouts and PTSD. That fight, flight, freeze, um, we talk about the Fs, right? The three Fs, the four Fs. For me, the biggest F was forget. And what I learned to do, all I wanted to do was forget the bad stuff. And this wasn't even conscious, right? But what I ended up learning was to forget everything. And even as an adult, this learned adaptation is that I have difficulty remembering things. Um, and also I became a judge and jury of myself and others when my critical inner parent came into being. I learned abandonment, modeled by my family as they abandoned themselves and me. And I internalized that abandonment and began <coughs> um, a life of dissociation. And then the last part was depression. I had the end. It was not safe to have feelings. My feelings were negated or shut down. And so I, I couldn't express them. I couldn't express loss, grief. I couldn't express anger. If I was angry with anyone, they were all bigger than me and I all got, I, I got hit or beat down or whatever. And so this depression turned inwards. I turned it inwards and it became self-hatred and self-sabotage. All of this is happening um, while my mother is drinking until the age of 11. When I was 11, my mom got sober. She went into AA. My dad went into Al-Anon. My brother went into Alateen. And I went into preteen. I lived in northern New Jersey. It was a very strong 12-step community there. So this is life before Alateen and before age 12. Okay, strength. This is what happened for me in recovery. Starting in preteen, then in Alateen, Al-Anon, OA, ACOA, before it became ACA. 
Okay, so what happened? Just in a nutshell, my life got worse when my mom got sober because everything she was drinking to dissociate from now was smacking her in the face. Before, we used to walk on eggshells because we never knew if she was going to be blacked out or if she was going to be a rageaholic. Now we walked on eggshells because we were responsible for her sobriety. Um, before, she was around a lot. Now she was always gone. She used to, my parents used to abandon me uh, emotionally, but they were there physically. But when everybody came into recovery, now I was abandoned not only emotionally, but physically, because my mom was at meetings every night, my dad was at meetings every other night. Um, but the good news is my brother got his license and a car, and here this was, you know, a 16-year-old boy and his 11-year-old sister. And we were out every night. We were at Alateen meetings. You know, sometimes we'd go into the city. Sometimes we were down at the shore. You know, we were all over the place. Okay, so what happened? The chaos was still there. But now I, I began to have clarity about what happened to me versus who I was. Because I thought that I was unlovable. Because here my parents are so smart. I mean, bilingual. My mother was, was studying with Jackson Pollock in Paris. I mean, these people were so smart that if I was worth loving, they would have loved me, right? No. Okay. Um, and I was learning that I myself had an addiction to chaos. When addiction is your definition of normal, right? That's what I see, like that magnetism. So not only was I addicted to it, but I would create it and I would chase it. So I was chasing those um, unhealthy relationships, friendships, relationships with men. Um, and then I would create chaos in my life. Part of that would be procrastination and perfectionism. So when perfectionism meets fear, it creates procrastination in me. And then I've got this pump of adrenaline while I try furiously at that last minute to meet whatever deadline or whatever goal supposed to set. Okay. Victim. Still a victim, but now owning my traits. Learning that not only do I have those 14 traits, but if you go into the traits workbook, learning about the other laundry list and learning that I had victimized others. I always thought I was the victim. You know, it all happened to me. No. I also victimized others mostly through manipulation and control. And that was a fear-based uh, response, trying to create safety for myself by controlling other people and situations. Um, and then owning the consequences of that, right? So I tried so hard to control people uh, so that they wouldn't abandon me. But that's not like super lovable, right? And so people, abandon me very creating this awful cycle in me attachment and codependence so how i learned to slowly disengage from my codependence is discovering and claiming my boundaries and the way i do that is by developing a relationship with my inner children i thought i just had one inner child and then a therapist was like, well, I want you to invite all of your inner children to the table and invite your critical inner parent to the table, and I want you to tell me what happens. And I did that exercise, and I scoffed. I was like, there's going to be one inner child? I don't know what you're talking about. 
and there were four. Four came to the table. In developing a relationship with my inner child, listening to them, I now can hear when they're uncomfortable, when a boundary has been crossed, when, when their feelings are hurt. And honestly, I spent my entire life dissociating stuffing food in the mouth of my inner child to shut them up because I didn't want to hear their fears. I didn't want to hear their sadness or their grief. So I just shut them up with food. That was my um, drug of choice. I learned to dissociate and numb myself with food from a very young age. So discovering and claiming my boundaries, developing a relationship with my inner child. And what that did, it's given me like increased responsiveness and self-engagement. What I mean by that is like I can hear what's going on inside often in real time and be able to respond to it. Okay, starting out fear-based and that isolationist, you know, self-sufficient person, how do you move beyond that? Okay, so for me it meant overcoming fear and becoming more vulnerable in relationship. I see that. Ted, got it. Well, okay. So I do that by making connection, picking up the phone, picking up the phone, showing up consistently at the same meetings, um, just making, starting a step study, starting a book study, you know, building relationship. And doing it in ACA where we have structure for safety has been the difference for me. Um, leaning into progress, not perfection. So letting go of being that judge and jury, letting go of the safety in being perfect because I was never perfect enough. And then um, the rise of grace and kindness, you know, my inner loving parent coming in and loving on me and giving me that grace and forgiveness when I screw up because I always screw up some way. Abandonment. So I have a lot of scarring from childhood abandonment. And a lot of how I'm working through that is grief work. Like understanding and loving on this little inner child who was yeah, thrown to the wolves, abandoned. And um, I'm I can't do anything about the past, right? But for today, the way I counter abandonment is through consistent self-advocacy. Um, going to my step studies, going to meetings, doing service, just constantly showing up for myself, which builds trust with my inner child. Um, doing self-care, taking those relentless baby steps. My sponsees are like, oh, more about the relentless baby steps. And I'm like, yeah. It's relentless baby steps. That's all self-advocacy is for me. And then grieving the loss of the memories and grieving this coping mechanism that I have of forget. I, I just am, I'm accepting it. I'm not beating myself up about it. And then depression. So for me, a lot of depression is because I couldn't feel my feelings. I couldn't identify my feelings. I was numb. Um, I was shut down. And often what I will do when I have a feeling come in is I will ask myself, how old are you? And, and I'm not being snarky. I'm speaking to my inner child who's feeling that feeling. And if she comes back and tells me that she's four, 
I know exactly what's going on with her. And I can love on her. And I can give her the support she needs. So unlearning the numbing and dissociation. Okay, here's the last part. And this is the hope part. Yay, almost done. So we went from chaos to clarity. And I'm all about that shift from chaos to clarity. Because when I have clarity, I have choice. Like, it's just that simple. I don't have to keep going round and round and round. I can stop. And I can say, oh, okay. I can have that pause. Ah, I get it. You know? I can be less reactive. So when there's chaos and I can I can look at it and have clarity, then I have the choice. And I can have that pause. And in the pause, there's grace. There's grace for me to check in with my inner child. There's grace for her to speak up. There's grace for me to ask for um, help suggestions. Okay. I was absolutely a victim. And then looking at the traits, I realized, you know, myself, I was a victimizer, so I had both ends of the spectrum going. So what am I doing today? Today I am trying to um, be my true self. I'm trying to have, um, you know, at risk of sounding very Californian, and I'm an East Coast girl, but I'm going to embrace this, having a neutral flow, meaning I'm permeable, meaning stuff can come through me. I don't need to be reactive. I'm neither the victim nor the perpetrator. And really embracing my higher power connection and my powerlessness. Like there is so much inner power in being powerless. I don't have to be God. I am not God. I don't know what works for you. I'm not always sure I know what works for me. That there's That's so empowering. Okay, going from attachment and that very dysfunctional codependence, learning boundaries so I can distance myself, right, from other people and learning, okay, who is Laura? What does Laura want? What does Laura need? And that evolves into love for me. And that love is a self-love. That's love of my inner children. That's a love of my higher power. That's the love of my 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 loving inner parent. Um, Self-love isn't selfish. Most folks who know me know that Sunday is self-love day and I very often will send out a text and I'll wish people happy, you know, self-love Sunday. Um, And healthy love through service. So I do a lot of service and I need to be conscious of my motives. Am I showing up um, in a humble state of mind or do I have an agenda? If I have an agenda, it's usually fear-based. Okay. Speaking of fear-based, that whole fear-based self-sufficiency, and then I talked about moving into grace. What do I seek? Well, I seek balance. And the balance that I'm seeking is um, hearing that steady, loving voice and support from my inner loving parent. And her gentle correction and redirection if I do screw up, you know, when I'm doing my 10-step work, I'm often hand-in-hand with my loving inner parent. I'm like checking in, did I, did I do, do I, did I do a thing? And my inner parent and I will sit down and talk about it. Okay, um, abandonment. So I addressed a lot of my abandonment through doing grief work. And now I have let go a lot of my past. And I don't mean let go because it's awful and it's back there. 
Um, it's more like I want to be in the present, you know. Um, I've got a, a rise of this kind of conscious living in the now. It's really important. Now used to be the only option I had to meet because I had no past because I could not remember it. And so now was like a second best and it wasn't even all that good. But today I'm embracing the now and realizing that if my past memories come, awesome. That will be enriching, that will, that will answer questions for me. But if it doesn't, that's also okay because I am in the now. I'm investing in my dreams and hopes for the future. This is new. Uh, I have never really felt comfortable about the future. I didn't think I was going to live this long. I'm 57. I didn't think I'd get this far. Um, being present not only for myself but present for others, and I'm doing that mostly through sponsorship. And I have to tell you, sponsorship is like this unsung tool. I get more out of being a sponsor than I do from going to meetings. Um, you know, I, I, I did the 12-step book, uh, the step study. I, I did the laundry list traits. Then I did Tony A's. And then I did the laundry list traits again. And um, as a sponsor, just listening and showing up for my sponsees, um, I am modeling for myself how I want to show up for myself. Like I, I treat my sponsees with kindness and gentleness and, and humor and respect. And these are things that I didn't have for myself. Okay. And then like I, I kind of touched on coming to peace with loss, loss of my past, um, that abandonment loss. I'm just, I'm coming to peace with it. I'm not there yet. This is a journey. I haven't arrived. And then the last part we talked about depression. I know I know that I am not alone in struggling with feelings of depression. So what's happening for me today? Well, two weeks ago, I had an amazing feeling that I never would have guessed that I would have. And it was a feeling of contentment. I was content. I was whole. I had this grounded joy and peace, and I was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> it was awesome. I called everybody I knew. <laughs> okay, is it every minute of every day, 24-7, 365? No. But that was the promises coming true in my life, and I'm so excited. And one of the last things I'm doing is playing more. I'm trying to play more. Um, and that, you know, that ties in with hopes and dreams. Um, and playing with others, you know, people who feel safe. Inviting them to come over and do a thing, or meet somewhere and do a thing. Okay, so that was my experience, strength and hope. Um, I think this page kind of encapsulates what I've been going through. Um, at 57, uh, what I haven't shared, let's see, I... Um, I went to college, I lived overseas, um, I got married, had four children, and they're amazing. Um, I got divorced because we got married for all the dysfunctional reasons. Um, he was a workaholic narcissist who used to gaslight me, just like my, my mom did. So he felt like a, my definition of normal. And he made good money, so oh my gosh, how great is that? 
So um, the hardest two steps for me are the fourth step and the ninth step. And I think we lose a lot of fellow travelers when they hit the fourth step because it's big and it's scary. And then I think a lot of folks get stymied by the ninth step because it's big and it's scary. But doing the ninth step with my four kids really reset our relationships. And I practice a living amends and I catch myself. It happens less now, but that that manipulative, controlling, I know everything I know best for you, um, that's so much less in my life now. And that's because of doing the ninth step and finishing all of the steps. And I'm clean now. I'm not burdened by all these, these things that I did in the past, all these coping mechanisms. Um, all right, so today um, I have four sponsees. We talk multiple times during the week. Um, I attend four to five meetings a week. I have um, three that are regulars for me. I go to intergroup meetings. Um, I do service. Uh, one of the roles that I have in service is the co-chair of the host committee for next year's um, AWC ABC, which is going to be in San Francisco. So that's the, the um, yearly business conference and convention. So I'm helping pull that together. And that gives me great joy too. It's really um, very, very interesting. One minute. Thank you so much, Dottie. Okay, so I think I spoke too fast. I think I tried to cram in too much. Um, I absolutely wanted to entertain you and wow you. Um, so I acknowledge that that's maybe not my best genuine self. But I hope you'll take what you like and leave the rest. I hope that you could hear something that you resonated with. Doing this um, was a great exercise and gave me a lot of clarity, which in turn gives me choice. So I wanna I wanna thank you, Dottie, for asking me to speak and thank you all um, who came to the meeting today. And with that I'll I'll pass.